Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland, reconnecting knowledge and virtue through meaningful assessments. Visit us at cltexam.com slash get started. Today's episode of Anchored is brought to you with support from America's Christian Credit Union. Find out how ACCU can be the banking partner to your school or family by visiting americaschristiancu.com slash CLT. Welcome back to the Anchor Podcast, uh, folks. I am excited today to welcome CEO Joe Higgins uh, as one of the founders and CEO of Fossus Management. Joe was the driving force who put together the team and executed all aspects of operation expansion and the regulation of the Lehman Academy of Excellence branded classical charter schools. In 2018, Joe left the position of CEO of the fastest growing charter network in the West after opening six campuses in Arizona and Colorado. Over a period of four years, the Lehman Academy, Joe oversaw the building of a staff of 425 employees and 4,500 students enrolled pre-K to eighth grade. Under his leadership, the network doubled enrollment every year, achieved strong academic results, and had a teacher retention rate of 90%. He personally designed and oversaw the financing development of over $80 million in real estate. Lehman Academy is a BBB plus credit rated and is a sought after investment in the mutual bond market. Joe, welcome to the Anchor Podcast. Well, hey, Jeremy, thanks for having me. So much to talk about today. And uh, we have here at the CLT office and everybody's been fighting over it. Some of your uh, the, the rich materials that you sent our way. So thank you for that. We'll get into that in just a bit here. Uh, Joe, as we often do, I, I'm so fascinated with people's story, how they discovered this whole big, amazing, beautiful world of classical education. What is your story? What was school like for you growing up? Sure, sure. So so I uh, went through Catholic schools, K through 12, and I, I still serve on a Catholic prep high school in Arizona. So I'm very involved. Been on for 15 years. My kids went through that. So I'm a product of, of private Catholic schools. Kind of, kind of backed my way into the education world. Had all kinds of startups and turnarounds, and I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Ran for office in 2008, lost, but that opened up a door to conservative talk radio on a Christian Salem One Network drive time every day. We'd be on the air interviewing local stories, authors, politicians, senators, dog catchers, just really understood that game. So taught me a lot. During one of the interviews, one of the days, we got a phone call from a, a nationally renowned author who lives in Tucson, and his name is Dr. Kevin Lehman. And over the course of a number of more interviews, Kevin wrote the book called Birth Order back in the 80s, which is where you are in your family and how you turned out. And uh, No kidding. I've, I've been very fascinated with this concept. That's, birth Order is the name of the book? Yep. It came from Alfred Adler originally. Well, uh, where, Joe, where do you fall in Birth Order? I'm a firstborn. So just okay. to put a real cap on it, us firstborns are going to run the world, fly to the moon. We're on time. We're moving. Babies are your salespeople, your comedians. They're having fun. And the middles are usually like, how do I get out of this crazy house and start my own life? So that's. that's I'm a very stereotypical youngest child. Um, Are you? I learned this fun fact not long ago that 18 of the first 20 people to go to outer space, where do you think they would fall? I would say firstborns, but. Firstborn. Firstborn or only. Yep. And I I take no offense as a youngest child. I'm like, nobody wants to go to outer space with me. I get it. No, no, no harm, no foul. Interesting, interesting. So. When did you get into thinking about starting classical schools? 
So, so over getting to know Dr. Lehman, his story is um, he was kind of a mess up all his life and he does a 180 and changed his world. And I, I remember being on the air with him and interviewing him. And I, it was about five minutes left before the end of the show. And I said, well, you have this story. How did it change? What was the catalyst? What made you go from kind of mess up to a uh, nationally renowned author? And he said his wife took him to church and he found Christ. So I said, wow, there's, there's some depth to this, this guy. And from that moment on, we had breakfast and became friends. And he mentored me as a dad and as a boss and just as a, as a, as a, a friend. Hmm. One day over breakfast, he said to me, um, we we're talking about how bad American schools are and lamenting all the issues that we see. This was 2014. Okay. And he, he said, I wish I get my books into schools. And I said, hey, we're in Arizona. Have you heard of a charter school? And that was the beginning of that first uh, idea. He had experience with classical ed, so he brought that. I brought the business aspect to it. We applied and got approved. And little by little, like the bio you mentioned said, we doubled every year and just everything worked. And uh, it was kind of my job as the business guy to say, okay, why is this working? What is it about this formula? Because I've, I've been in a lot of different businesses and they just never gel like this one had. And uh, I spent a lot of time dissecting that and interviewing teachers, looking at my, talking to my parents and came up with a plan, which, which is the, the model that we're rolling around the country. Okay. Okay. And um, how do you, Joe, when you're talking to folks who, who maybe have just never heard of classical education, I always, I like to ask our guests sometimes for somebody who just doesn't, well, what is this? What is classical education? How do you give them a 30 second explanation there? Uh, I always say it starts back in the Rome and Greece. Uh, with Aristotle and the Lyceum, kind of got really refined and, and uh, resurged back in the 1200s in French universities. And uh, in America, you'll notice it a lot in the private Christian world back in the 1800s, 1900s. But it's basically a return to the benefits and the joys of Western civilization, the great ideas, the, the pursuit of the good, true, and beautiful. So that's the overarching elevator pitch. The The specific is, it's, it's based on three, four, three, styles of learning or types of learning, trivium, which is your grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And then four is the time frame that we study is repeated from ancients to uh, medieval to founding of America mm-hmm. and finally modern. And we repeat that three times. So it's three, okay. four, three. So that kids, by the time they're in that K-12 system, they'll have seen each of these times, three different, uh, three different uh, events. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the Anchor Pod is that I'm really fascinated. You're you're this really unique, interesting combination of a great business mind with a lot of experience and a huge heart for classical education and wanting to see this movement scale. It's been interesting to me as, as someone who's new to the business world. I, I kind of discovered classical education and seminary about 10 years ago and really starting CLT was my first taste of kind of the whole business world. But there aren't too many folks who spend a ton of time thinking about both of these things. I think about somebody like Chris Perrin at Classical Academic Press or Martin Cawthorn over at Memoria Press, and they're both immersed in thinking about, because part of how you scale this movement is by moving markets as well. It's how this movement becomes the new mainstream, hopefully in in 20 years or so. It's a real gift and it's a huge need, I would argue, in the classical renewal movement to have great business minds come into this movement. When you think back about this kind of explosive success that you had starting 
six classical charter schools over a very short period of time. Do you look back over previous that previous business experience? Were those things translatable to what you built there? Yeah, totally. So I think God has a plan and a mission for all of us, right? So I, I've been opening small businesses for the last 14, 15 years, had a chain of cell phone stores in a couple states. I opened uh, nine haircut stores. I've had real estate development, a little small retail center. So each of these things were new and are stretch and they were hard, but I learned from every one of them. So finally, when I got into this, this, this classical model, first I had to understand it, nuanced the details of it. But most importantly, from day one, I'm trying to figure out how do we replicate, systematize, and what is the secret sauce that is giving us our success? From what kind of wax do we do on the floor to how do we key every door to the curriculum, of course, which is the roadmap of what we're, we're learning. Staffing, teacher training, teacher hiring, what's working, what's not working. So I kind of came in with fresh eyes from the business world saying, how do we systematize this 2,500-year-old model to apply in various places? Kind of unique and, in, in, you know, I'm not from the education world. I went back and got my master's and I've written a few books on this topic and some of the nuance of it. But I came in with a mind of how do we, how do we systematize and make this simple? Uh, is, is the tipping point, is that Malcolm Gladwell? Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, if yep. you, when you just look at the classical ed movement and where it is now, maybe even compared to where it was 10 years ago, uh, do you feel like we're on the threshold or maybe we're already there? I mean, I just think in the short window that we've been doing CLT, we launched in 2015. I feel like back then, like no, most people, we were always explaining even like, what is classical? Oh, there's classical schools. I've never heard of this. Now it's like everyone has a reference point. Everybody knows you know, their, their niece or nephew or somebody's like in a classical school or they're doing classical conversations. What, what do you think? I mean, are, have we hit the tipping point? Are we close? I feel like we are, but we're in it so deeply, right? But every time I, in the beginning, I would say classical ed and it kind of went over people's mind. I'd have to say, okay, you've heard of Montessori, you've heard of project-based mm-hmm. learning, or you've heard of STEM. It's a model. And then I'd explain it and they get it. I don't have to do that anymore. So I would say yes there. Uh, a lot of that came around, I think, from the cl- uh, charter school movement. Uh, some of the like, great hearts out of Phoenix. We had our, our we were in Colorado and Arizona. I think that's a that's a part of the discussion. But then I'm I'm kind of running into this political buzzsaw trying to open these charters around the country. So that movement has slowed a bit. But I think that like I'm talking I'm out in North Carolina this week and I'm I'm working with a high school that's opening a private Christian high school and then we're working on a charter in the K eight model. So the people are picking the model because they know the model works. And as goofy and as scary and as weird as our national politics continue to be, there seems to be a rush back to or a look for or a harking mm. back to what used to work. And what used to work and what I think I was, I don't think I was in a formal classical model in my Catholic schools, but I was in a, in a model rooted in values and virtues. I was in a model that read the great works of literature and worked from a grammar stage with your basic facts built upon that up into rhetoric and oratory and so I think what classical ed signals to families and tells families is it's going back to what used to work before it got all kind of crazy. So I think we're at a tipping point. I hope to be part of pushing that tipping point, as do you. That's why we originally connected, because it's it's what the country needs. Yeah, well, let's talk politics. We, we kind of avoid politics on the Anchor podcast here, but we'll... Uh, at least talk about politics in terms of school choice for a few minutes here. This is interesting. My wife did Teach for America. She was a, it's kind of our joke that I got to start the standardized test because she was the smart one when we got married, you know, class president, went to the University of Virginia and, and all of this. 
Is she firstborn? You know, she acts more like a firstborn, but she's also a youngest. Is she really? She's, wow. yes, she's, she's the youngest. Um, but, you know, when she did Teach for America back in 2004, they were, they were pretty pro-school choice. They were very pro-charter magnet. It seems like 20 years ago, this was not such a partisan issue. It seems like red states are pretty much, not totally, you've still got a lot of uh, establishment, you know, Republicans that are pushing back on school choice. But most of the support energy seems to be from uh, Republicans and that it's becoming more divided along partisan lines. Can you give us a little bit of like a, a history of, yeah. I mean, is that accurate? 20 years ago, yeah, was it totally. more bipartisan? Yeah. So, so Arizona and Florida are one of the first two states. I think Florida was the first and to charter and this back in 98, 99. If you remember, President Obama got elected and brought in Arne Duncan, who had had massive mm-hmm. success in Chicago in her schools with school choice. So there was this real push and resurgence and move towards options. And mm-hmm. one size does not fit all. We kind of caught the tail end of that as we grew our network in Arizona and Colorado. But, I, you know, the, the shift happened in 2017, 2017-2018 cycle. You had President Trump and Betsy DeVos in office. I don't know if it was a national decision or if the, the powers that be that are kind of in the public education world looked at this movement that was coming and injecting competition into the marketplace. Parents were, were, were moving and picking. Uh, what I see happen is through the regulatory process, through the approval process, through the expansion process, there has been a concerted effort, even in red states, where things have just stopped. I mean, slowed down to a stop. To give you some examples, I, I've, I've been through the Texas application four times and failed each time for various reasons. I've tried in Florida three times. I've tried in Arizona once, and that didn't work through. Nevada, Indiana. I mean, it is, it is like a light bulb got turned. And what it, where it happens is in the application bureaucracy process. Too big, too small, not a good... I mean, they just find some reason in this opaque kind of process to say yes or no. So when I talk to legislators in Texas or in, in Arizona, like, yeah, we're school choice and everything's great. And then you look at the industry, you look at the movement, the lenders aren't lending, contractors aren't building, architects aren't happening. It has slowed down. Mm-hmm. So now if you're in the business, if you're in a network like a Great Hearts or a, a, a Basis or us, you can expand usually. But just the new entrance and the new ideas and the new families coming in to say, let's do something in our local neighborhood, that's been shut down. Now, when there's an action, there's a reaction, right? When it gets too easy, you know, maybe some bad operators come in. When it gets too hard, what, what the school voucher conversation that's happening around the country, I think, is a direct reaction to the, the demand of, of families now to find a better solution for their kids. Uh, I think you have nine or ten states that have passed some form of voucher law, Arizona being the first, Florida, North Carolina, where I'm at now. And what that is, is just kind of a, hey, we're going to fund the family and let them pick. Maybe it's Catholic. Maybe it's Christian. Maybe it's yeah. private. Maybe it's homeschool. Maybe it's, you know, a charter. The money follows the child. Yeah. That's a big, a big movement that I think the classical groups that we're all, we're, we are involved in have a tremendous opportunity to make an impact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a, we've talked about this with a couple guests, but it's it's a, an odd mix of kind of bedfellows where you've got uh, some of the more you know uber progressive folks that say not a penny of taxpayer funding should ever go to any Christian school, uh, and you've got other folks uh, you know more on the far right that say ESAs are going to be more government regulation, government saying what is and what isn't a a a school, what gets to qualify as a school or not. 
I mean, in some ways like this, just get, it's the complexity is so immense and so deep. The more I learn about it, the more, in some ways, like the less optimistic I get that we're going to make serious progress. Like, But keep in the back of your mind, Jeremy, you're a parent. You've got five, six kids. I'm a parent. I sacrificed to put them through private schools. We drove old cars and we put our kids in Catholic schools. That sacrifice, that parents are the ultimate consumer, right? And parents are also the voters. So if you poll school choice and if you poll charter or just choice in general, it's up in the 60s with Republicans and 70 or 70s with Republicans, 68, high 60s with Democrats. It's a a bipartisan issue. And what's Mm -hmm. happening is, you know, there's powerful interests that are kind of losing out and they're saying, look, we don't want this to happen. And they're using every mechanism, rent seeking, they call it, to make sure it doesn't expand and continue. Well, the market always finds a way. Parents are going to continue to put on pressure to elected officials. Uh, You know, it's going to show up at ballot boxes over and over and over. And I think it's going to unleash and unloosen. I can't think of another issue that polls. I mean, even in inner city, you know, minority communities, school choice polls in the low 70s. And the fact that they continue, that we continue to, to elect anti-school choice politicians is, is wild. And, it, you know, one, somebody explained it to me well, that the problem is that it has never risen to the level of urgency as some other issues. But that with COVID and w- in terms of the, yes. the glimpse everyone had into America's school system, it's finally rising to like that level where, where maybe things will actually change. Joe, I want to shift gears here. Again, we've all been looking at this at the CLT office here in Annapolis today. I love your materials, ethos and logos. Tell us about your work on the curriculum front. Your charter schools, they're using this, I assume. This is our model. This is, the, this is where we built and our teachers perfected it. But basically where this came about was, this is laminated. It came about in that we were talking to our families like, why and what is unique about our school system? How has your life changed mm-hmm. by joining us, right? And what came back over and over and over was kids love the history. And we have these amazing dinner table conversations wrapped around the history. And as you know, classical ed is kind of arced in history. It's a thematic unit. So when you're in the ancient world, you're reading period pieces or novels or classical lit based on the time that you're studying. So you're looking at facts and dates and you're looking at emotion and connection. So what we, we embarked upon was creating a model where this would sit on the dinner table. And it's an outline of, okay, this one I've got is early settlement of America. So we're talking the pilgrims times. And just organize the same way on every card. Mom and dad could look through here and say, okay, tell me about, uh, you know, explorers of Jamestown and the pilgrims. Or who was Pocahontas or John Smith. It just is an outline. So then this also can sit in the classroom so our teachers know, all right, you can go anywhere you want. This isn't a script that we're being very specific to you on. Just make sure that you're staying in this time frame and hitting this, these big things. So from this, the history, we now have 800 of these, and they're all color-coded and date-coded. Mm. So as a parent or a teacher, you just line up your August, September, October, <laughs> okay. and you know where you're going to go. And it allows us, as we open up multiple schools around the country, to all be on the same sheet of music. Okay. So not as, not as tight as, a say, a Big Mac is made the same in every market you're in. But just everybody knows where they're at and where we're going. Can the homeschooling families order this as well? Is this also available yeah. in homeschooling? So we built this originally for our classrooms. So when we open up in North Carolina, we hit the ground running. Unbelievable when a teacher moves from a traditional model into classical. There's just a lot of nuance from direct instruction to Socratic, writing, bringing values and virtues back into their instruction. That's probably the single biggest hurdle that we have with teachers where we have to sit them down and say, look, 
We're not teaching to the test. We do well on the test because kids love to learn. We're here because you picked this industry to impact children and make a difference mm-hmm. in the future. So let's get back mm-hmm. to that. So spend the time in the values of virtues. In fact, we call them out on every card at the bottom. We'll talk about, hey, for this month, we're featuring two values and virtues. This one is silence and order. So how do you integrate silence and order into your English and history and PE and, and art? So think of all this as a big puzzle. So we're trying to take the mystery out of how this classical thing comes together. When I first got into it, what was explained to me is 20-year classical school. These teachers are in the lunchroom constantly pinging off each other. Like, I'm reading this, and here's what we're mm-hmm. studying. What we try to do, because we're going so fast and trying to get everybody up to speed so quickly, we try to take that 20 years and build it down into a, a solvable fall, uh, program. Because we're building it for our schools, it also fits the homeschool market. So just as charters kind of having this slow, homeschool is growing like, like, like crazy. So now on Amazon, all this stuff is available that you can buy one subject or one year, one grade. Yeah. I, I did want to ask you this because I, and just flipping through it with folks here, this is not from a distinctly Christian perspective. Is that accurate? Nope. Correct. Correct. So our roots were <laughs> Christian. And because we're in the public sector, we took everything relating to any kind of doctrine out. Okay. But you could okay. easily lay in Mormon, Catholic, Jewish, because it's, okay. it's values-based. So, so let me ask you this. In Texas, where you have a success of ESAs, maybe equipping families to be able to, again, be in total control, maybe send their kids to a great heart, so maybe send them to a you know self-consciously faithful, classical, Catholic school, whatever it may be, how will that impact the non-religious charter, classical charter schools? Uh, and I'm asking because I'm just thinking about some conversations with some folks where maybe they've got their own kids in one of these big classical charters but maybe they'd prefer to have them in a Christian school, but that's just not an option because they can't afford the tuition. ESAs potentially change all of that. And as a guy who who knows how to think about rapidly shifting markets, well, what do you anticipate with, with ESAs becoming more popular? Well, so the charter movement's one direction. ESAs are another direction. Homeschool is a whole other direction. Each of those three do not have to follow a particular model. What I think is going to happen, I'm seeing it in Arizona because we're one of the first voucher states, is, is, is homeschool groups will come together. Families will come together that may not be able to pull off a full all-day homeschool model, but they may come together and rent a church and set up a little little micro school and mm-hmm. teach a model that is somewhat, maybe hire a teacher, maybe bring a teacher in for science and math. Um, in fact, Wall Street Journal had a, had a story today. I don't know if you caught wind of it or tweeted it yet, but it basically says, there is a rise in these little micro schools that are popping up around the country. Did you see it? Yeah. yeah no, I did, article. but I'm, I'm kind of laughing because I know so many homeschooling stories where it's a homeschooling family, but then they pair together with three or four other families and then a few yep. more and then one person. And then after a while, they're like, we totally look like a school again, right? you know, and that, right. that's the experience for so many. Which is the beauty of the model, right? So you have yeah. purists in the homeschool world. You have classical ed has shades of you know, all kinds of shades of gray. Uh, there's the hard, hardcore kind of very tight. We bring in the Charlotte Mason influence, so that's more experiential and, you know, hands-on uh, sciences and uh, read-alouds, living books. So there's all different flavors and shades. And I think what families are doing is kind of, mainly it's talking to other families that are in it, doing their research online, 
deciding, hey, what fits me? What's what's unique to my world? And that's that's what we're seeing blossom all over the place. Love it. Where do folks go to find out more to order these materials? At CLT, we got we got them for free, which is pretty amazing. But I'd imagine you order them somewhere. What's a good next step for folks listening? Right. So so two things. Uh, the reason we connected is because parents ask me all the time, homeschool or wherever, what's the end goal here? How do we know our kids are on the right path? So what I want to do is integrate more and more with the CLT exam so that we're moving and building our world to an end goal that you all are, are kind of building around. So what I sent you was important because it lists all those authors that you talk about, Augustine and all the great, great thinkers. So we're, I want you to show that we're introducing these to our kids, first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way through. Number one. Number, number two, to find us, Ethos Logos, ethoslogos.org is our main site and explains everything I've covered and shows you all the programs. Amazon.com also has it if you either research my name or Ethos Logos. And what we built here is think about Microsoft as an operating system. So this operating system fits our schools, private schools, public schools. A Christian school could lay their doctrine on top of it. Or you could just buy Word and Excel, which is our English and our history. So you don't have to take the whole boat. You can kind of mix and match and see what fits your family. Awesome. Awesome. Typically, Joe, at CLT, we talk about the concept of college entrance exams as, as doing two things, of being both at indicator or like a reflection of mainstream ed. And you see this throughout different periods of history. You see this in the old Harvard entrance exam in the 1860s and yeah. 70s, where they're translating Latin and Greek on the exam. But then the college entrance exam also tends to be a driver. You know, so it's a reflection, but then it's also a driver. And just hearing you speak in the conversation that we've had offline, I think there's this third function that it's doing in some ways being an affirmer as well yes. of saying you're you're doing this right and just looking through everything that y'all have sent over and hearing about your schools and your reputation and what you've built you're doing amazing work and you're the kind of person that this movement needs joe we always end the anchor podcast talking about books digging in a little bit here uh the the question as we usually frame it to our guests is what is a book that has been most formative to you so we're thinking about here a book that you have returned to maybe you reread uh, every year or two. Mine is always Chesterton's Orthodoxy. It's my seasonal return to sanity that I try to go through. What is it for you? I'm a big uh, nonfiction. So I love biographies. Just just love biographies. Uh, the one that I've gifted the most and I read on a regular basis and I mentor young, young men usually with is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because mm-hmm. I think our schools teach us so much about facts and dates and numbers. It's that that personal relationship between being interested in someone's name and some of those corny things from the 30s and 40s that Dale Carnegie wrote about. But that is by far the one I give and talk about the most. That's kind of a modern classic, right? This Is is this 80s or 90s? Uh, I think it was the 40s or 50s. It's that is old. it really? Okay. Yeah, look people okay. in the eye, smile, use their name. I mean, there's so many little nuances there that I think are, you know, these these stupid things with, with, with our kids. Okay. They're not watching and learning. So that that simple book. I, I'm not going to lie. I've never actually read it. But as we read, as a, our, our core team here, we read, uh, you know, Traction, Good to Great, you know, Rocket Fuel, kind of some of the big business books. And it's referenced all the time still in all simple of these books. Simple read. So. And look at the yeah. headline of the chapter. If you like it, read it. And if you don't, go to the next one. Because it's <laughs> oh. all just skills that you should do with your kids, which you probably do, right? Like look him in the eye and shake his hand. Those little things that you help your children with as a parent. That's in this book as a business person. So phenomenally important in my life. Awesome. Awesome. Love it again. Uh, we are here with the one and only CEO, Joe Higgins, uh, the founder of six rapidly growing 
charter schools, uh, an incredible curriculum here. Uh, Joe, thanks for being a supporter and a friend of what we're doing here at CLT. Thanks for the good work you're doing in the movement. Please come back and join us in the future. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to leave a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. And remember to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.